In this episode of 2000 Books, I talk about what separates world-class performers from everyone else and the four-step process that every world-class performer follows to master their craft. I cover stories of Mozart, Ben Franklin, and Michael Jordan and what distinguished them from everyone else. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Today, I'm summarizing the key ideas from Jeff Colvin's Wall Street Journal and Business Week bestseller, Talent is Overrated. This book talks about how neither talent nor hard work are enough to become a world-class performer. There is something more at play. Let's discover. Let's talk about Talent is Overrated by Jeff Calvin. Jeff Calvin. And this book is all about busting the myth that talent is what gets us to great success. What Jeff Calvin is saying is that it's not about talent. It's actually about a lot of diligent hard work. And the first example, let's let's take a few examples just to bust the myth. Mozart, we all know, we all think of him as this talented little young kid who produced this great music over the years and has left his mark on the world. But the truth is that Mozart himself, he started practicing music at the age of three and his dad was a music teacher. He would force him to learn. He would make him learn all the time. It wasn't that he just, Mozart just sat by the piano every once in a while. He was starting to learn music at the age of uh, three. Then at the age of eight is the first time he actually started playing in public at the age of eight. When most people are, most kids are just going to school, Mozart was playing in public because that's what his dad forced him to do. So eight, he was already going public. Three, he started. And at 21, is when he wrote his great work of music. 21 is when he did his great work of music. So in reality, he actually worked on his music for 18 years before he produced this great work of art. Somehow we have this idea that Mozart was talented, he was gifted, he just was the great one. But the truth is somewhere not really out there. The truth is that he worked really, really, really hard for accomplishing in order to accomplish this goal, in order to become a great musician. Now, the, a lot of this book comes from the research that was done by Anders Ericsson in Germany, where he went to the Berlin Music Academy of West and studied different violinists. And he asked the teachers, who are the very best, who are the good ones, and who are the average ones? Um, what they found out was that the total time these guys spent on music, the the best guys, the good guys, the average guys, were around the same. Total time spent on music per week was around 51 hours. You know, learning music, um, talking about music with fellow fellow people, or playing music with other people, and practicing in person, personal practice, deep practice. The second thing they wanted to identify, okay, well, how come the best are are spending around the same time as the average, what's the difference? So they then asked them, how much time are you spending in real deliberate practice, in, in deep practice? That's when they started to see some difference. They, see, they, they saw that the very best and the good ones were both practicing around 24 hours per week, while 
the average guys, the ones who were not necessarily at the top of the class and who were probably going to end up being music teachers, these guys were only practicing for nine hours a week. A big difference, a very big difference there. Then they wanted to still figure out what's the difference between the best and the good ones. And what they found out is they started asking them about their past. And what they figured out was that the cumulative practice of all these kids at the age of 18 was very different. The best had already practiced for 7,400 hours, while the good ones had practiced only for 5,300 hours. And the average ones had only practiced for 3,420 hours. So big difference in the hours they have practiced. And that's how the whole term of the 10,000 hours or the 10 years came about. That's in order for us to be to become great at anything, it will take 10,000 hours of cumulative practice, 10,000 hours of practice again over the years. And that's something that actually gets accumulated over 10 years. And the thing about deliberate practices, it's hard. It's hard work. So it's not something you can easily just accomplish by working 20 hours a day. It doesn't work like that. Now, why is deliberate practice hard? Why is it so much work? Well, let's dive deep into what exactly deliberate practice is. How do you do deliberate practice? What is the structure behind deliberate practice? So hopefully that'll give you an idea of what we're, what, um, what this, what this practice, how much practice you really need to do and how you want to structure your practice in whatever endeavor you're after in your business, um, in your uh, um, endeavors. You want to figure out how to go about deliberate practice. The first step in deliberate practice is to plan whatever you're doing. I, I look at a lot of these things as a very simplistic model because of the way you pro manage projects. And in project management, one of the simple fundamentals is plan, do, review, improve. You plan something, you do it, then you review what you've done and you improve it. So in, deliberate, in the case of deliberate practice, this gets really intense. This gets really detailed. So what do you do in the first step in the planning phase? You have to deliberately design the practice. You don't just let it happen. You don't just sit down to practice without any intentions in mind. You don't just say, okay, let me just go practice something. No, 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 no. You have a very deliberate design for the practice. You know exactly what you're going to do, how you're going to do, what, how often you're going to do it, and you're going to be very specific about what you're trying to improve on, what you're trying to accomplish, what you're trying to change. You're not just going to do a random session of practice. The second key to, uh, to your deliberate practice routine is to actually do, to figure out practice, to figure out uh, a structure to your practice such that you have a lot of high repetitions. So you can repeat those hard things, you can repeat those challenging things over and over and over again. And the reps are what really builds the long-term um, long-term potential in like they, they really help you um, build this um, the strength if you want to call it um, then there is the idea of review so once you have planned something you've deliberately designed the practice and then you have done the things that you want to do now what well now you've got to get feedback on what you've done because you now you got to review what you've done and here is another really important idea and the whole idea of how to achieve great things, how to become talented, or how to not worry about talent really, but you know, in the world's eye, you feel like you're talented. Um, so the really important idea in this step is to have a coach, get a mentor, because the mentor can give you very specific 
feedback, the coach can give you very specific uh, feedback in that moment when you're doing something wrong, when you are hitting on something that's, uh, uh, that's hurting your progress in the long term. And you know very well that all the great sportsmen, all the great sports teams, they have coaches. All the great musicians have coaches. So um, something to consider, how come in all these different great endeavors, whether it's, it's tennis or boxing or uh, football or soccer or whatever game you want to, whatever sport you want to take, any, pick any sport, every sport has a coach. They have, these players have mentors because this is really critical step in your overall progress and becoming really good at it. And the same should be happening for business. Unfortunately, it's not as common a practice as um, it is for other areas, other endeavors in life. And then after, after you review it, then you design a plan to improve. Then you say, okay, I, have, I know I have reviewed. I know these are the mistakes I'm making. What do I need to do next? Well, of course, you need to improve on these things. So you identify what you're going to improve. And then again, you start putting together a plan to improve on whatever you're going to improve on or to work on the new things. So let's take an example of how to do deliberate practice. And this, uh, this comes from the life of Ben Franklin, who was just an amazing, amazing learner. He used to love to learn, and he had so many great contributions in so many different fields. Um, he, he had really mastered the structure to learning. So when he was really young, when he was in his teens, he was exchanging letters with his friend. And one day his dad came across the letter. Uh, came across some of the letters that he had been sending to his friend and he saw the replies and he saw that and he told uh, Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, that um, even though his writing was good, he could improve some of his writing. He could improve on the structure. So Ben Franklin now, being the Ben Franklin that he was, started to obsess over how to improve his structure. So he went and read the Spectator magazine. The Spectator magazine at that time was one of the uh, great works of uh, literature coming out of Britain, so he started reading that. Now, in order to improve structure, what he did was, okay, I'm going to read The Spectator, then I'm going to take notes on it, then I'm going to forget about it. So I'll take notes and then I'll forget about this. Then I'll come back a few days later and write it all out again. So take notes, forget about it, write it out again, and then compare. Compare my structure, compare, compare the structure of what Spectator magazine has compared to what he himself has written and find out what the problems are, what the challenges are. And over time, as he did it, he found out that his structure, even though it had improved, there was some problem with his vocabulary. So now, look at what he just did. He planned his practice, he designed the practice, he read the spectator notes, and he figured out this is the way he's going to do it. Then he did the reps, which is he took notes and he forgot, and then he write it all out, which was the doing part, and then he reviewed, he compared the notes, compared his writing versus Spectator magazine. And then once the comparison was done, he started to improve. He said, what should I improve? And then he went to the next phase, which is, okay, I need to improve on my vocabulary. So he, then he started to design a practice for vocabulary. He said, okay, I'm going uh, to have this uh, practice in place. And what he did was he said, I'm going to first read whatever the article is. Then I'm going to write it in verse. I'm going to write it in poetry. Then I'm going to forget about it, and then I'm going to write it in prose. Write it in prose, as in write it in written language. So first write it in poetry, then write it in written language, because that 
taxes your vocabulary quite a bit and then he's going to compare the final article that he has written compared to what was in the spectator magazine again a very tight loop of plan do review improve and the key here is the planning that ben franklin had the awareness at such a young age to plan these um these improvements uh plan these uh, these big projects which would allow him to improve again and again and get better and better and better um then once he did this comparison he found out uh, after a while that his vocabulary had improved but his organization was still not as good so now this is another genius practice that he designed what he did was he read another article on spectator then he took notes on each of the sentences on different pieces of paper and then he mixed up all the papers he mixed up all the papers and forget he forgot about them for a while is forgot about it for a few days and then he came back and rewrote the whole article all over again he wrote the article all over again and then he compared to what he had read he compared the article to what he had read so planned the practice really important part a deliberate planning and designing of the practice then he did the work then he reviewed it and then he improved on it again and again and that's something that if you read ben franklin's biography you'll see this again and again in his life he loves to do this kind of work he loves to figure out how to plan how to learn again uh, another thing he used to work on was his 13 virtues um read his biography great biography we'll do a review of that as well um now another really important concept in the whole idea of talent being overrated and the fact that it's all about the practice sometimes you feel like well i don't have the drive i don't have the motivation to do the practice and some people have the drive some people don't have the drive um and maybe it's all a lot of the times lately in the conversation is the idea that it's all about the intrinsic motivation if you have the intrinsic motivation then you can do great things but extrinsic motion a lot of times extrinsic motivation has been given the short shrift so should you just go with having an intrinsic motivation an intrinsic motivation like the likes of just doing playing piano or playing violin or whatever it is just for the sake of really enjoying it or should you also enjoy or you should should you also allow yourself to have these extrinsic motivations like winning a championship or winning a trophy or uh competing with someone what jeff coleman is saying is we shouldn't do one or the other what about if we did both if we did intrinsic motivation as well as extrinsic motivation what if we could harness the power of both and the big example is michael jordan he loved to play michael jordan loved to play basketball he would do this all along but at the same time when he was in the middle of a game when he was playing for the championship he had this extrinsic motivation and you can study his biography could study um, his uh, interviews and stuff he was really driven by the idea of some other guy who told him you can't do it you're not good enough which is what his high school basketball coach said you're not good enough for this team and that's what drove him to become probably one of the greatest so when someone shuns him down he says no let me show you how great i am and he gets better and better so that extrinsic motivation helps him to propel himself to go forward so don't shun, don't shy away from extrinsic motivation in your life if you're going after some goals if you have some business um, motivations and you feel like you always have to have these intrinsic motivations um realize that it's okay to have powerful extrinsic motivations as well as intrinsic motivations because those will really turbocharge your effort in uh, in your uh, 
in your practice and taking you to greatness. The other idea, really important, um, is the idea of practice and uh, performance in the sense that sometimes we say, oh, well, he can practice so much or he loves to practice so much because he performs very well. But the truth is that they both feed each other. When you practice more, you perform better. When you perform better, you practice more. When you practice more, you perform better. You perform better, you practice more. So it's like a, uh, it's a, it's a loop that, uh, that feeds into itself. So practice to performance, performance to practice, practice to performance, performance to practice. And that's the way you want to view. When you are working on something and you feel like your results are not there, maybe if your performance is not there, if you practice a little more, you could get to the next level of performance. So performance and practice and practice and performance and practice and performance, they are all interrelated. So there we have it. Talent is overlaid, overrated by Jeff Colvin. Really important idea. Really important idea of deliberate practice. This, if there's one thing you want to take away from this book, figure out how to design a deliberate practice. Design a deliberate practice and go execute on the deliberate practice. So, my ambitious friends, if you would like to download a quick action guide of the four-step deliberate practice formula, just head on over to 2000books.com slash summary or text the word summary to 44222. The links will also be in the show notes on your podcast app on your phone. And by the way, if you are a loyal listener of this podcast and you feel like our show has added value to your life, would you please take 30 seconds to write a really quick review. Even if you say one word, that would be great. Just leave us the star rating and the reviews. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want to interact more with me and talk about the show, tweet me at 2000bucks, at 2000bucks. I'm looking forward to chatting with you on Twitter and I'll catch you on the next episode.